and answer any questions you might have. All right? So Matthew chapter 27. Let's get into our study here. If you're visiting with us or new to Calvary Chapel, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And we've gone through Matthew. We stopped when we ended chapter 26, did our four-week series, Moving Forward in Difficult Days, looking at the priority of the Word of God and and prayer, uh, being a godly example, being strong and courageous. And then last week, running our race well, because we all have a race to run. And now we're going to get back to chapter 27, our study in Matthew, as we are looking at Jesus being handed over to the Romans standing before Pontius Pilate where he is going to be then led to Calvary where he's going to die for the sins of the world. So, Father, we thank you once again that we're here to study your word. May we remember to turn our ringers off our phones. We want to be free from distractions. We want to be attentive to the things that you're showing us. And, Lord, just bless this time in the study of your word. And, Lord, during... As we read this portion of scripture that is very familiar, I pray that we would be at more awe than ever before in wonder of your incredible provision and sending your son to die for our sins. So we just ask for your touching of our hearts in a very deep way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So right about Thanksgiving, we ended with chapter 26. And in chapter 26, Jesus is with his disciples for the last time, the last night that he's with them before his arrest there and and crucifixion the next day. And in that upper room, he's eating Passover with them. And I like what Luke records in his gospel, that Jesus said with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And even though the disciples, they, they don't understand everything that has taken place, We know Matthew records that six times that he told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and elders and be put to death. And and they don't understand everything that's taken place. Matter of fact, Dr. Luke, in his account of the upper room, he tells us that they came into that upper room and they're arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. So Jesus at that time would gird himself with a towel and he washed the disciples' feet and he would say to them, what I have done, I've done as an example. You want to be great in the kingdom? Then you wash feet. You be a servant. Jesus said, one of you, as the night would go on, is going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me. And all of you are going to be made to run away from me before the night is over. And our Lord is so patient and so loving to them, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus, as he is praying, he is sweating great drops of blood. And we were told that he was exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And he finds his disciples sleeping when he had asked them to be watching and praying. And then here comes Judas, the betrayer. He leads a detachment of troops into the garden and they arrest Jesus. They bound him up and they took him back to Jerusalem as we saw that Jesus stood before the official high priest Caiaphas presiding over the Jewish Supreme Court. That was the Sanhedrin Council. They would condemn him to death. They would beat him. And now as we pick up chapter 27, we're going to see that he's going to be taken to Pontius Pilate and he's going to go before the Roman authorities as we're very familiar with this. And once again, uh, we are entering into, listen, holy ground. And I pray that this never gets old to us. 
the account of Jesus, we can think, well, isn't this what we go over in three months from now and at you know, Holy Week and, and Easter weekend and all of this? Listen, we should be at awe every time that we read this. And I pray that we would, that it would touch us to a greater degree than ever before. So in chapter 27, we do read, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So Pontius Pilate is now the governor of Judea. And he would reside in Caesarea, that seacoast city that is right there on the Mediterranean Sea. He would be there for most of the year. He would come up to Jerusalem during the feast because, remember, this is Passover week. There are a lot of people that have come to Jerusalem. The city is packed out. So he would travel from Herod's palace there in Caesarea. You can go to Caesarea today. You can go through the ruins. And Herod, he was called Herod the Great because he was a great builder. And they had pools and all of this. And he would come up to Jerusalem in case there was any uprising, insurrection, any problem. He could deal with it there in Jerusalem. But it's interesting that for a long time, liberal scholars would say that there's no Pontius Pilate. There's no Pontius Pilate recorded in history. The Bible, you can't trust it. Well, they were doing excavations in the 1960s, and lo and behold, they found a stone, and on the stone was an inscription, Governor Pontius Pilate. You can go to the Jerusalem Museum, and you can see that stone today. So he would come up. He's there in Jerusalem during this time, and it is the religious leaders that they condemn Jesus to death, but they now hand them over to Rome. They hand them over to Rome because they want to distance themselves from Jesus being put to death. Uh, they know that the people still are, are following him. They're afraid of the people. And if Rome puts them to death, which their method was by crucifixion, then our hands you know, are, are clear. And we don't have to worry about it. And we know that it was the Jews, their, their form of capital punishment was stoning. Actually, at this time in history, Rome had taken the right of the Jews to execute somebody. They would do it at times. We know that from the book of Acts when Stephen, the first martyr, the first Christian martyr for his faith in Jesus Christ was stoned there in the end of Acts chapter 7. And guess who's holding the coats? Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee of Pharisee, later on known as Paul the Apostle. And as Stephen is stoned, that would take place. But here Jesus, they're still fearing the people. We're going to hand them over to Rome. And the prophecies of the Old Testament was this, that he's going to die by crucifixion. We know that particularly as you read Psalm 22. But let's continue reading in verse 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Some people read this and they say that Judas repented because he brought back the 30 pieces of silver and said, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. And he was really just, all he was doing is trying to get Jesus to usher in the kingdom, to force Jesus' hand. And when Judas realizes that's not is what's going to happen, he says, oh man, my plan backfired and I really didn't mean for Jesus to get hurt. And I think that is reading into Judas' motives when the scripture doesn't give us that indication at all. 
Matter of fact, Jesus said of Judas that it'd be better if he'd never been born. Jesus called him the devil. Satan entered him. We read from Matthew's gospel that he, Judas, went voluntarily to the religious leaders and said, what will you give me? How much will you pay me? I want to pay out for betraying him into your hands. Judas knew that the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. So Judas here, as he says, I've, I've you know, sinned and, and betrayed innocent blood, Judas does realize and confess that I betrayed innocent blood. If Judas had seen any fault or any inconsistency or hypocrisy or sin in Jesus, then he could have very easily justified his betrayal in his own mind. Judas could have thought, hey, he claims to be the Messiah, the Son of God. He claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. But I've heard him lie. He's not truth. I've seen him do dishonest things. Uh, I've seen him do evil things. I've heard him gossip, backstab, whatever it might be. And Judas, who walked with the Lord for over three years, knew that Jesus was sinless, that he was innocent, that he was perfect. And I believe that Judas, what we see here, is remorseful, but he wasn't truly repentant. Paul would write something very important, write down this verse, and I think it's important for us to know it and, and make reference to it. That in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Paul writes, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. You see, sorrow and repentance is not the same thing. Being remorseful and repenting is not the same thing. Godly sorrow will lead to repentance and a turning to God. And as we read through the Bible, we see very clearly the absolute and necessity of repentance from Genesis to Revelation. God's men came on the scene and they constantly said, here's what you are to do. You are to repent. Now that's a word that isn't used in the church very much. Matter of fact, I've heard of pastors that have said, we won't use that word repent. They, they have negative connotations of repent. People, they don't want to hear that word. They picture uh, a mean old pastor or an old pastor with his bony finger, you know, pointing, pointing at you guys saying repent. And I hope you don't picture that with me. Uh, I know I'm old, but it's a very wonderful word to repent. It really is. It just means to turn direction, turn towards God. Stop going the direction that you're going because the direction that you're going apart from Jesus Christ is going to lead to death. It's going to lead to death. But turn direction and turn towards God. And for us to be able to do that is very wonderful. There is sin. There needs to be a change of direction and a turning to God. It is, is a singular message in Scripture that there needs to be repentance of turning to God to be saved eternally and in our own personal situations where we need to change directions. So Paul is very careful. He says, listen, it's godly sorrow that produces repentance that leads to salvation, but the sorrow of the world leads to death. If a person does not repent and come to the cross and call out to Jesus Christ for forgiveness, to be the Lord of their life, it produces eternal death because there's no life apart from Jesus Christ, eternal life. 
And even in our own lives, if we go in a direction of carnality or sin and we're not turning back to the Lord, it just leads to death in our soul and in our heart. I have talked to plenty of people over the years, and I think that perhaps you've talked to a few, that they have sorrow for what they have done or said, but they haven't repented. They are remorseful. There's plenty of people that are sorrowful, sorry they got caught doing something, and now they're experiencing the consequences of that, or they have to face the repercussions of the situation of their actions. But there's no change of direction. There's no interest in turning to God. So there's the sorrow of the world that causes you to get hung up on guilt and shame and doubt, and it works death. But there's a godly sorrow that means and says, I am truly going to repent and change directions today. I'm going to go a different way. I'm going to go God's way. And I mention that to you because that was the difference between Peter and Judas Iscariot. Both of them failed miserably on the same night. Judas betrays, Peter denies, not once but three times. Judas here, he brings back the money. He's remorseful. I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. Judas knew that things had gotten complicated. He felt bad. So he goes to the temple and he says, here, take the money back. And the priest said, that's your problem. We're not touching that stuff. That's blood money. You deal with it. And Judas, he threw the pieces of the silver in the temple. And the religious leaders then had to deal with it. They had a problem. So we continue reading in verse 6. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and, and bought uh, with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. And therefore the field has been called the field of blood to this day. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. So the priests, they couldn't take, put the money in the temple treasury according to the law, so they took the blood money, those pieces of silver, and, and bought a field. And the field was called the field of blood, the potter's field. And that field, what would happen is people, you know, their, their dishes, their containers, their pots, they're, they're made of clay. They're made of pottery. When they would break, they would throw them out into this field. Or the potter who made a bunch of pottery, if the pottery was marred or broken, they would throw it out in this field. And the field wasn't good for planting. And it really wasn't good for anything except to use as a cemetery for strangers and travelers who had no other place to be buried. So here they buy this field, and now back to Jesus, who is standing before Pontius Pilate, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Now history indicates to us that Pilate was a ruthless man. He was a cruel, hard man. And the religious leaders bring Jesus to Pilate, hoping that Pilate will be hard enough in his judgment to have Jesus put to death. And again, they could distance themselves from the fallout. 
We know from Luke's gospel that when the religious leaders brought Jesus to Pilate, they said to Pilate, accusing Jesus, we find this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying himself that he's a king. Now, we know earlier in the week, as we read in Matthew chapter 22, that the Pharisees and the Herodians, they come to Jesus trying to trap him, and they say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus took that, that coin that had the image of Caesar on it, and he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. And I just kind of picture him flipping the coin back to whoever he borrowed it from. Render to God the things that are God. And it was an amazing answer. Uh, it was uh, something that the people marveled at his answer. But he did not say not to pay taxes to Rome. The Romans at this time in history would not execute a man based on theolog theological issues. Now, later on in the first century, when Domitian was the emperor, Domitian hated Christians. Domitian saw himself as the god to be worshipped. So at the end of the first century, and we talked about this in our Revelation study, because here John is on the island of Patmos. Domitian tried to kill John, put him into a pot of boiling oil there in Ephesus, and the oil didn't hurt him. And, and history records, or church tradition tells us, that Domitian sees that, and he begins to yell, get him out of here. So they exiled John to the island of Patmos, and there he received the apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we saw in those letters to the seven churches that were seven literal churches existing at the end of the first century, how the persecuted church, they were persecuted because they were to give their allegiance to Domitian. If you gave your allegiance and say, Domitian is a god worthy to be worshipped, they didn't care Rome if you worshipped other deities and you worshipped Jesus. But you have to say that Domitian that he is a God worthy to be worshipped. The Christians said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We only worship Jesus. He is the Lord of all. And so that's why we see at the end of the first century that the Christians, Domitian killed a lot of Christians. But at this time, the issue for the religious leaders is that he claims to be the Son of God. It's blasphemy. But that wouldn't hold up here before Pontius Pilate. So the religious leaders have to come up with some other trumped-up charges to try to get Pilate to deliver this death blow. He's claiming to be a king. He's claiming uh, to, to say that, that you don't have to pay taxes. He's leading this insurrection. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? It is as you say. The religious leaders, you picture them, they're just yelling and accusing. But you hear that Jesus here... As Pilate says, don't you hear? Don't you hear what they testify against you? He marvels that Jesus is silent. And I think that he marvels because he had heard so many men before him that, that groveled and begged for their lives. And Pilate is going to understand that Jesus is not challenging the authority of Rome. Matter of fact, we're going to read in a few verses that he understands that the religious leaders brought Jesus because of envy. But before that, verse 15... Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitudes one prisoner whom they, they wished. Between verses 14 and 15, another gospel tells us that when Pilate found out that Jesus was a, a Galilean uh, from Nazareth up north, 
hey, that's Herod's jurisdiction. I'll send them off to Herod. Now, remember Herod the Tetrarch? He's the one that had John the Baptist arrested. He's the one that had John the Baptist killed, beheaded. And Herod had heard of the miracles that Jesus had done up in the Galilee region, and he thought it was John the Baptist risen from the grave. So Luke tells us that when Pilate says, hey, you're from Galilee, that's Herod's jurisdiction. Take him to Herod. Let Herod deal with him. We know that Herod was exceedingly glad to see Jesus. And he asked him many questions, is what Luke tells us. And he wanted Jesus to do a miracle, kind of like, ha, 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 will you do a trick for me? Jesus answered Herod nothing. Not a single word, didn't respond to him. So Herod mocks him, puts a royal robe on him, sends him back to Pilate. I imagine Pilate's there having his coffee, thinking, okay, I'm going to have a quiet day after all. And all of a sudden he hears the soldiers coming back, and there's Jesus bound up in the midst of them. And he's thinking, oh, no. He's back. Oh, no, what am I going to do? You see, Pilate... That he knew the other gospels tell us at this time that Jesus was innocent. And now he has a very sensitive issue on his hands. And we know how Pilate reacts, don't we? He will react not with integrity or honesty or justly. He's not going to do what is right. He will react in a cowardly way. I'm going to go with the crowds. I'm going to let the crowds determine what to do. I'm going to let the crowds determine who they want to let go. And it is, listen, very, very sad when a Christian, any of us, get to the point of I'm going to go with the crowd. I'm going to go with what everybody else thinks. I'm going to go with what culture says. Everybody else is doing it rather than what is right and what God would have us to do and what the Word of God declares to you and to me. And in verse 16, And at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And therefore when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. And while he was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife, that is Pilate's wife, sent to him, saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them in verse 22, what then shall I do with Jesus is called Christ? And they all said to him, let him be crucified. The greatest question for every person for every man and every woman is this. It's the most important question that every single one of us has to answer. And that is, what are you going to do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Now, most of us that we've come and recognize that he is truly the Son of God that has provided forgiveness and eternal life for us. And I pray that we would not give in to what the crowds in the world around us screams, Oh, he's just another religious leader. He's a good moral teacher. But is he the son of God? God in the person of Jesus, the only way to heaven? Oh, no, can't say that. He's not the way. Uh, he's not the only way to heaven. I don't want him ruling over my life. Everyone has to determine, what are you going to do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? 
And then the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So the governor here says, What evil has he done? And they would cry out all the more, Crucify him. We want Barabbas. Pilate giving in to the voices of the crowd. Actually, he heard two voices that day. He would hear the voice of conscience internally and then the voice of the crowd externally. May we not give in to the voices of the crowds, the world, the culture that says to us, hey, compromise here. Go ahead and send there. Be involved with that which is wrong. Go ahead and live a carnal life. It is tragic when we give in to the voices of the world rather than submitting to the voice of the Lord. The word of God speaking to our hearts, the still small voice of the Lord. So they cry out, crucify him. And Pilate had him scourged. It was in a terrible torture to scourge somebody. The Roman cat of nine tails. And, and the Roman scourge was a long piece of leather, of course, and they would put a piece of metal on the end of it. And then on that long piece of leather strip, they had other pieces of leather that came out, little fingers. And at the end of those leather strips, they would put a piece of metal, something sharp on it. So the one doing the scourging, that Roman soldier would step back, and he would put that whip on the back of Jesus. They would take his you know, uh, clothing off, they would tie his hands together. They would take the rope. They'd throw it over a pole that had a ring and through the ring. And then they'd pull up on it so his skin was nice and tight. And then that Roman soldier would take that whip and put it on the back of Jesus. And it's like fingers of, of sharp metal that would go into Jesus' skin, dig into his skin. And then he'd give it a little twist. And whole chunks of skin would come off of Jesus. That's what they did to our Lord. He was reduced to raw hamburger. But that wasn't all. As we continue reading in verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, the king of the Jews. And then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. So this praetorium is the Antonio Fortress. What is fascinating that just recently they excavated it. And in our last trip to Israel, we took that trip right before covid and we actually went into this praetorium that they would take the prisoners, the actual side of it. And on the pavement, you can see that there's carvings there. And they used to play games, the soldiers. They were like board games that are still carved in. You can actually see that. And as they're waiting for a prisoner to come during the downtime, during times of the slow, they play these board games. Well, they decide that we're going to have a little barrack fun. 
And we got this one who's called the king of the Jews. And the Roman soldiers take this man who had been condemned to die, this man who is not just the king of the kings, but he's the Lord of all lords. He's the creator of the universe. And they spit on him. They clothed him in purple. They twisted a crown of thorns and took a reed and a rod and pounded it on his head. They said, hey, if you're a king, then you need a crown, a crown made from those Judean thorns that you see in Jerusalem today. Now, some of us uh, have homes. Remember in the 70s, Russian olives were popular trees to plant. They're awful, aren't they? And so now everybody's trying to get rid of them because they have thorns on them. And if you ever wrestle with Russian olives, they will cut you up and scratch you and make you bleed. Well, these Judean thorns that you see in Israel and Jerusalem today, Judean thorns are about four inches long. They're hard as nails and they're sharp as razors. So they make a crown from these Judean thorns and they pound it on his head. It would completely lacerate his scalp. Interesting, where did those thorns come from? Remember back in the book of Genesis? When God or Adam rebelled against God and God pronounced that curse against man. And because of sin, and God said, Cursed be the ground, thorns and thistles shall it bring forth. And those thorns were the result of God's curse against sin. And here is Jesus ready to bear the curse of sin. And they crown him with a crown of thorns. It's the only crown that he would wear in his first coming. We know that when he comes back, that he's going to have a crown of glory. And the soldiers begin to beat Jesus. They pull out his beard. They mockingly bowed the knees to him. You can just picture this and hear the laughter. And, and earlier we know that as he stood before the religious leaders and the high priests, that they put a cover over his face and they beat him. They spat on him, the ultimate insult. And they said, if you're the Christ, prophesy who hit you. They had stripped Jesus and put a purple robe as they mocked him. They would, as they pulled that purple robe off of him to take him to Calvary, would just, uh, again, rip open all the wounds that he received from the scourging. Isaiah chapter 50, Isaiah writing this 700 years before Jesus went through the sufferings of the cross, that I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheek to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from those whose shame and spitting. They put Jesus' own clothes on them, having their fun. They get down to business. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross. And when he had come to the place called Golgotha, or Golgotha in the Hebrew tongue, that is to say the place of the school. We'll pick it up here next week. Because I think there's some very important lessons that we're going to learn from Simon of Cyrene. I think it's going to bless you tremendously. But they lead him down the narrow streets of Jerusalem and out the Damascus Gate into this place of execution. It's called Calvary, or the place of the skull, Golgotha in the Hebrew tongue. It was an awful place, guys. It smelled of death. It was by a main road. They would take him, and they put him on that cross, and he hung between heaven and earth to die for you. As you go through this year and you wonder at any time, Lord, do you care about us? Why all the confusion? Lord, do you love me? 
this is what I want you to do. I want you to see him on that cross dying for you. Because it wasn't the nails that kept him on that cross. It was his love for you. And he went to die for you specifically and individually. He could have called down 12 legions of angels. Remember that? As we read, Peter put the sword away. I can call down 12 legions of angels. He could have destroyed those Roman soldiers. He could have destroyed Jerusalem. He could have destroyed the whole world, started all over again. I think, Lord, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you just start all over again? Why would you even do this for us? Because of his infinite love for you. And as he went to that place of execution, he was thinking about you. He did it for you. Never forget that. And as he hung on that cross, it was his love for you that kept him up there. So if you ever doubt the love of Jesus Christ and God's love for you, will you go to the cross? He demonstrated and proved his love for you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No wonder that it is Paul the Apostle would write to the Corinthians that when I first came to you, I came in much fear and trembling. And I didn't come with the wisdom of man, but in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, determining not to know anything among you except this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the whole city was turned over to Christ as the great revival broke out. People looking for answers around you? Jesus Christ and him crucified. The love of God. Give them Jesus. Tell them what he did for them because he died for them as well. That they might have forgiveness of sin and the hope of heaven in right relationship with the Father. So Father, we thank you for this time that we've had. Lord, as we see that Jesus was truly the lamb that was led to the slaughter, I pray that it would never lose its effect on us and impact our hearts and Lord, you didn't save us so that we can live after the world. Because the world doesn't have the answers. The world's dark, confusing, and it's getting worse. It just leads to death. You came to give us life. And I pray this morning, if there's anyone here that you haven't repented and turned to Jesus, to the cross, that the invitation that he gives to you right now he knew that you would be here or if you're listening online or if you're listening on the radio that he knew that you would hear this message and he says to you turn to me today is the day of salvation I love you I died for you to give you hope so that you have forgiveness of sin because the wages of sin is death that he paid the price he cried out it is finished he did the work. Now we come in faith, turning to him and calling out on the name of the Lord. Will you do that? Asking him to sit upon the throne of your heart and life as personal Lord and Savior. Don't pass it up. You cannot save yourself. A church won't save you. You can't be good enough. It's all done. Jesus paid it all. And he says, come, come in faith. We hear about a lot about the needs of people, and there are a lot of needs, and a lot of people are, are hurting and wondering. But the greatest need of any man or any woman is to be saved. You need to be saved. So come to him.
if you've never done that. And say, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me. Forgive me. And you're alive, speaking to my heart. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for your love for me. And this new beginning and a new year. And a new hope, the only hope, in a hopeless world. And bringing me into the family of God. And I do want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer at the end of service here in just a minute, I want you to come up and pray with Pastor John. Tell him the decision you made. Or if you're listening online or on the radio, call us at the church. We want to minister to you. But for all of us as we leave this place, just marveling again at your incredible love and provision for us. Lord, I pray that you bring strength to those who are weak healing to those who are sick. So many people are sick right now, and we hear about it. Bring healing to them. Lord, I pray provision for those who have need, wisdom to those who, Lord, are confused, guidance to those who need direction. You're everything that we need to stand on your word and to live in your love. So, Lord, bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. God is good, isn't he? We'll continue with Matthew 27. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to be blessed. Don't forget about the the blessing bags. You guys can stand as we're going to close. If you need prayer for anything, we want to pray for you. Um, And we're here to pray with you and bless you in any way that we can. God bless you.